Welcome back to Mission 27. And if you've been around, you've heard me say this time and time again, this is our journey through the 27 books of the New Testament. It's our opportunity to step back and to, to look at each one and read each one of these letters, each one of these books in, in totality, to, to make sure that we're not losing the forest through the trees, to make sure that we're not just focusing on the little minute details of what's in God's word and missing the bigger picture, the bigger message that God has for us in the Bible, in his word. And so today we're going to be unpacking the third pastoral epistle, and that's the book of Titus. The book of Titus. Titus was one of Paul's disciples, just like Timothy. He was like a spiritual son. And so he spent a whole lot of time with the apostle Paul, going around, planting churches, dealing with issues, running away as people were throwing stones at him, all that kind of stuff. Titus was, was very much involved in all that, just as Timothy was. And Paul, he would go in and kind of, He'd parachute into a region. He'd share the gospel. A bunch of people would get saved. They'd kind of start these churches really fast. And then Paul would zip. He'd go on to the next place. And, and, and what would he do? He'd leave. He'd leave some of his disciples, some of those young church leaders behind to then take the church to the next level and make sure it was established. And he would usually pick those leaders that were the most capable to deal with the most difficult situations. And so Paul assigned Titus, he was a Greek believer, to the island of Crete uh, for such a mission. You see, Crete's an island in the Mediterranean where Paul had preached. Uh, many believed, many came to Christ. I've got a few pictures here of the island of Crete. It's beautiful. Check that out. Isn't that gorgeous? Y'all are like, I'm ready for vacation. Look at that. Look at that. That's gorgeous. I've been there before, by the way. I was back, it was like high school or something like that. But I still remember it. What I remember most is the water. It is so crystal clear. I mean, you can see the smallest little pebble on the bottom, like 20, 30 feet deep. It is gorgeous. It's peaceful. It's beautiful. But the island of Crete back in the day had some issues. It wasn't necessarily peaceful. Um, in, the, in their desperate need to to, um, to kind of launch these churches, they, they just depended on the leaders and, and the men that were there to lead the church, and, and it wasn't going so great. It wasn't going so great, and so Paul had to send Titus to the island of Crete to help deal with these churches that were brand new, that were going off in crazy wrong direction. Crete was a mess. Here's the deal about Crete. How many of you have seen that show, Pirates of the Caribbean? Arr, matey, right? Basically, Crete was the kind of place where these pirates would go live and hang out. In fact, Crete was known for having a bunch of rough and tumble guys that lived there. Basically, they were pirates. And so as you think of, here's one quick and easy way to remember Titus. What's Titus all about? Well, Titus is about this guy who became the pastor to the, arr, the pirates, he was the pastor to the pirates, to this rough and tumble group of people who lived on this island called Crete. And Crete was a mess. It was a mess. Kind of like Chicago is a mess today. But anyway, that's another story. But, but beyond just this island being full of these rough and tumble guys, the biggest issues with the people who lived on Crete, their biggest issue is, is that they were liars. They were liars. And Paul underscores that. 
And he says this. One of Crete's own prophets had said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And then Paul says this in verse 13 of chapter 1. He says, this saying is true. It's well known. These are a bunch of brutes, wild dudes, and liars. Therefore, he says, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or merely human commands of those who reject the truth. So, these small churches that Paul had planted on this island had somehow come under the influence of these corrupt Cretan leaders who said they were Christians, but they were derailing the church right out of the chute. They were causing all kinds of troubles for these small churches because they were liars. They lied. One of the lies was, is that, hey, you got to go back to the Jewish traditions, back to legalism. You know, when, when you, we've been reading these, these different letters from the Apostle Paul, there's a common theme. There's a common place that Christians kind of revert back to, and that's legalism. I'm serious. It, it, it might have happened in your life over the years. Maybe you're there right now. You start off, you have this whole freedom thing in Christ Jesus. You feel so free. You feel so, so alive. You know, like, like all the weight has been taken off of you and you're just chasing after Jesus. Your eyes are fixed on him. There's nothing hindering you. It's so exciting. And then all of a sudden, you allow religion to creep in. And rules to creep in. And legalism to creep in. And you get your eyes off of Jesus and you get your eyes on the rules. And then you fall for this thing, like if you follow the rules, you're following Jesus. And all you're doing is you're following the rules and you're missing Jesus. Now listen, when you follow Jesus, you're going to change. When you follow Jesus, sin is going to fall off of you. When you follow Jesus, your desires are going to change from, from the flesh and, and unrighteousness to the things of God, to holiness, to, to love, to peace, to joy, to wanting to care for people and serve people. That's all going to change. But if you think you're going to find more of Jesus by by following more rules and going back into legalism, that's not the solution, y'all. That was the extra credit for today. It wasn't in my notes, but I think somebody here needs to hear that. I'm serious. Somebody needs to hear that today. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, not the rules. That stuff's going to work out. If you got sin in your life, fix your eyes on Jesus because you got an issue. You got an issue. But fix your eyes on Jesus, first and foremost. So Paul gives Titus the glorious task of staying behind and cleaning up this mess on the island of Crete. And he gives him some instructions. How many of you know that sometimes, sometimes God's assignments are tough? They're not easy. I mean, I got to pastor y'all. You know what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes he gives us, you know, a big burden to carry. It's, it's rough, you know. This is a joy to pastor this church. But he gives us some tough jobs, and Titus got a tough job from the Lord through the Apostle Paul. And I could just imagine, imagine Titus going, are you, are you serious, Paul? You're sending me to the pirate church? You're going to make me the pastor of the pirates? Are you kidding me? Come on, there's, can't, can't you put me somewhere else? I mean, come on. But no, Titus gets to be the pastor to the pirates. And Paul begins his letter to Titus as he's trying to help him and encourage him to be a good pastor and to take up this, this hard task. And, and he basically says this right out of the chute, everything rises and falls on leadership. 
And if you've been around business or leadership a while, you know that's a John Maxwell quote. But I believe John got that from the Bible. Anything good and, and worth repeating and uh, worth living by comes from, from God anyway. And what we find is, as Titus writes, as Paul writes to Titus to encourage him on how to deal with this crazy, out of control pirate church, is that I'm going to keep saying pirate church. I don't know why. I just, it's kind of, you're going to remember the book of Titus right now. You're going to go, Titus, pirate pastor. You're going to know that. I'm telling you right now. Um, it's it's going to click. You know, that it's going to click. It's clicking with me right now. And leadership is important. And Paul, right out of the chute, tells Titus this. He says, Listen, the reason I left you in Crete wasn't to punish you. I'm, I threw that in there. But the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order that which was left unfinished. And that you would appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The churches on the island of Crete needed some new leadership. Needed to be under new management, if you will, new leadership. And here's the deal about leaders. I know this is about to be a very profound statement. So hold on. You ready? Here's what I know about leaders. Leaders lead. I I see laughs. I see smiles. But we forget that. We forget that simple fact that leaders lead. And if we have a leader, they're leading us somewhere. It's going to happen every time, all the time. They're either going to lead us well, they're going to lead us poorly. Leaders lead. Look at our nation right now. We've had good leaders. And I'll just be straight up about it. I look at the leadership right now in this nation, and it's scary how we're being led, where we're being led to, because leaders lead. Leaders lead us somewhere. They lead. And in this nation, we're the ones who put our leaders into their place. Anyway, leaders lead. And how leaders lead in the church is going to affect the health of that church. Healthy churches are led by healthy leaders. That's just the reality of it. And healthy leaders have healthy marriages. They lead their, their, their marriages in a healthy way. They lead their families and their children in a healthy way. Healthy leaders have healthy doctrine. They have healthy lives. I'm just going to say this, that we live in this, in this world right now where some people, they, they follow people they don't even know. They hear a good message online because we can hear any message we want to right now. We can dial up and, and search and find anybody. Who are you allowing to lead you? I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you. Who are you allowing to lead you? Who are you listening to? Are you able to watch their life? Are you able to watch the trajectory of their life, where they're going, how they handle situations and issues? What kind of man or woman they are? What kind of of follower of Jesus they are? On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And not just online. Because leaders are leading. And if you're following, they're leading you somewhere, in some way. God chooses to use men to lead and to oversee his precious church. 
Because God is just that confident and just that sovereign. He chooses to use imperfect men who are in the process of being sanctified, who still are rough around the edges, in need of a Savior. He chooses to use men to lead and to oversee his precious church. So what kind of men should lead the church? Here's what Paul tells Titus. Let's look at this. Verse 6 of chapter 1. An elder or leader. Elder often also called an overseer or bishop. Those are synonyms for elder. Elder, bishop, overseer. Must be blameless. Faithful to his wife. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, but quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. I'm going to tell you what, when I read that, as a leader, it puts the fear of God in me. It's passages like that that cause me to fall on my knees and cry out to God a lot. It's passages like that that say, I can't go through the motions. God, I need you to lead me. Because I I don't feel like I, I fit all this. I mean, you're using the term blameless? How does that happen? Leading in the church is a high calling. It's no joke. And the leaders of this church, the elder team, the overseers that we have at Evident Life Church are a group of men who have not stepped into this, this role, this position lightly. They've taken their time. They've prayed. They, they know that they're called to do this and they understand what's at stake. They understand the responsibility that they have. They understand that they will stand before the Lord and give an account for how they led his church. His church. They'll stay up at night in prayer. They'll wrestle with God, but wrestle with one another about doctrine. About what's right, what's wrong. Everything rises and falls on leadership. I'm not going to go into much more detail on that. I'm not going to, going to dive much more into that. But I just want, I want you to know that the elders of this church, Jim and Phil and Don and Brad and myself, we take it seriously. We're not perfect men. We're in the process just like you are. We're in the process of being sanctified. We're in the process of of God finishing what he started in our lives just as he's doing in your lives. But we take it seriously. We really do. And we invite you to watch our lives and to watch our doctrine and what we teach and and to, to pray a lot for us as we lead, as we follow Jesus, the chief shepherd, the, the, the elder of elders, the, the head of the church. Amen. Amen. So it starts with good leaders, but 
But we all have a role, and I just talked about that a little bit earlier. We all have a role as Christians in the body of Christ. And Christians are called to be billboards for Jesus. And that's the title of today's message. Point number two, billboards for Jesus. We're not all called to be pirate pastors or pastor pirate churches, but we're all called to be billboards for Jesus. You know, it's one thing to believe good doctrine. It's another thing to live it out. It is. And it's another thing to live it out for all to see. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to live out Christianity. We're called to live out uh, this transformation that's happened and happening in our lives, like out in the open, for all to see. Paul wants the Christians in Crete to walk the walk, don't just talk the talk. And we're going to see that here in just a moment. Paul wants their actions to actually make the gospel of Jesus more attractive. He wants their character to clearly point people to the difference that Jesus makes in a life. And again, Paul wants the Christians in Crete, I don't think they had billboards back then, but if they did, he wants them to be billboards for Jesus. Here's an example. Look at that. Billboard for Jesus right there. We live for Jesus. That's going to be going up on I-10. They're, they're currently doing the construction on I-10 right now. It's because they're going to put these billboards up all up and down. I'm just kidding. That's called Photoshop right there, okay? That's Photoshop. He wants Christians in Crete. He wants us. God wants us to be billboards for Jesus. In, in chapter 2, Paul writes this to Titus. And he says, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. But notice now where he goes with this. Doctrine isn't supposed to be just a bunch of thoughts and a bunch of knowledge. It's supposed to translate into something, like how we live. And he says, so then teach. This is what, this is what Titus is supposed to do with the church in Crete. Teach the older men, how many of you are older men? I'm raising my hand right here. You can raise your hand. All right, come on. Proud, we're older men. That's right. Younger men, check out who just raised their hands. Y'all need to get to know some of these older men. They got a lot to teach you. You got a lot to learn. I know you think you got the life by the tail and you got it all figured out. Believe me, man, you, you, you got a lot to learn. And these men in this church, these older men in this church, they would love to walk alongside you, encourage you, and to help you keep from stubbing your toe the way we have over the course of time. Anyway, so Paul tells Titus to teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. And likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands. Now, why all of that? Why teach the older men and the older women these things? Why? He says, so that no one will malign the word of God. It's not just a bunch of hoops to jump through for no reason. We need to live like Jesus, and, and we need to live like people who've been changed from the inside out. Why? So that people won't malign the word of God. Look, a Christian that looks like the world makes Jesus appear weak and unnecessary. I'm going to say that again. A Christian that looks like the world makes Jesus appear weak and unnecessary. 
When people live like the world, when they talk like the world, when they cuss like the world, stop cussing, by the way. It's not cool, it's lazy, it's gross, it's worldly, it's fleshly. Just stop it. But it's not, like, it's not in the Bible. It's in the Bible, okay? Don't cuss. No unwholesome words and talks should come out of us like that. Lord, help us. When we, when we treat our marriages like the world treats their marriages and we just dispose of them and walk away and get on to the next exciting thing, man, when, when we even feel like when we walk around hopeless and depressed and worried about tomorrow like the world is, I'm telling you, the world looks at that and goes, why do I need what you got? You're just like me. You're just as hopeless as I am. You're just as weak and, 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 and confused as I am. Y'all, we we're not weak. Holy Spirit is living and dwelling within you. The God of the universe has made his habitation in you. We have all we need for life and godliness. Our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I mean, we got every, we, come on now. We're not hopeless. Our eternity is sealed. The promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We don't have to worry about a thousand years from now and we don't have to worry about tomorrow. And we don't have to talk like the world and act like the world and walk like the world and quack like the world, whatever. Because when we do, we make Jesus appear weak and unnecessary. But when we live the changed life that we are now, man, people get attracted to Jesus. What's up with you? How are you able to process it that way? How come you have joy right now? How come you aren't worried? How come you're not freaking out, man? Do you know Jesus? That's why. How come you're not drinking away your sorrows? Because I got Jesus. I'm full of joy, peace. Y'all, I'm not trying to just sugarcoat this. I know life is hard. Jesus knew that. He said, in this world, there will be troubles. But we got Jesus. We got Jesus. Let's make him attractive. Let's be billboards for Jesus. Similarly, it continues in verse 6. Similarly, encourage the young men. Young men, you're not off the hook, all right? Come on now. You've got some work to be done. You know what I'm saying? So similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, Titus, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Again, why? Why live this way? Why talk this way? Why act this way? So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. To try to please them. Not to talk back to them. Not to steal from them but to show them that they can be fully trusted. Why? So that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Attractive. Paul wants them to share the gospel, but Paul wants the church in Crete to not only just talk about the gospel, but actually show the gospel. Show it. 
Paul wants the church to be living and walking billboards for Jesus, showing the world how Jesus is different and how Jesus really changes our lives. Because look, we go out there at the end of the service, we go downtown, Joe's Barbecue, we stand in line, the line's taking a long time, Somebody comes up, they cut in line because they got friends up there or whatever. In that moment, we can either lead people to Jesus or away from Jesus by how we respond. By how we live, by the choices we make, by how we talk to others, by how we handle difficult, hot situations. We either make Jesus attractive or unattractive. And Paul isn't telling the church to remove themselves from society. Do you notice that? Not at all. He's also not telling them to forcefully change the society. Rather, he's telling them to live like those who've been redeemed and made new. And when we do that, we will change society. We'll make Jesus attractive. So the question today is, are you living that way right now? I mean, can you really say, yeah, I'm living that way? I'm making Jesus attractive to my neighbors, to my coworkers, to my friends, people I do business with, to the person who cut in front of me in line. I'll let you process that with the Holy Spirit this week. And here's the deal. When we live that way and we choose to make Jesus attractive, I mean, we're choosing joy. We're choosing the best way of life anyway. You don't have to be an old booger out there, old crotchety old blah. No, man. Nobody likes that. You don't even like it when you're that way. You know it, right? I know that. When I'm a, when I'm a hard nose and all that, you know what I end up doing? Regretting it, feeling bad about it. When I bless others, when I'm generous to others, man, joy follows that. All right, so where the rubber meets the road, church. All right, the gospel, God's grace, definitely changes our eternity. How many of you know that? If you're in Christ Jesus, you're gonna be with him forever. With him forever. It changes our eternity, but God's grace also changes our present. It changes us right now. Everything changes when we encounter Jesus, the here and now. Now, how many of you have heard of a full gospel church? Maybe back in the day, some come on, show your age, raise your hand. Full gospel church, right? What's a full gospel church? A full gospel church believes that the Holy Spirit is still doing everything he was doing in the New Testament gospels, that he's still healing, he's still giving out the gifts, including that strange gift of tongues. He's performing miracles, the full gospel, that, that God is the same today as he was yesterday. He's going to be the same today in the church until Jesus returns, using the same methods that he gave the early church. We're still that church. We're still that church. Look, I'm a full gospel Christian. That's how I live. That's what I believe. Evident Life Church, you could call us a full gospel church if that's the definition of full gospel, which I believe is. We're a full gospel church. He's the same today. We're going to interact with God and expect the same big things that God does because God is still big today. He hasn't gone away. He hasn't retreated. He's advancing. He's bringing his kingdom now and will continue to bring it even more as the day of Christ's return approaches. 
So that's a full gospel church. But have you heard of a full grace church? Full grace church, a full grace Christian, probably not, because I think I'm making up that term right now, this week, right now. Full grace church, a full grace Christian. Um, I'm really just putting a title to something that Paul clearly presents right here in this letter to Titus, and it's found in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. It brings us to point number two, three, actually, which is full grace Christians. Check this out. This is an important truth that we got to embrace here. For the grace of God... The grace of God has appeared and offers salvation to all people. How many people is God's grace available to? It's available to all people. So God's grace saves us, right? God's grace to bring salvation has appeared to all people. He saves us. But it, what? God's grace, still speaking of God's grace, it, God's grace, also teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our Savior, God, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. All right, that was a mouthful, and that was Amazing scripture right there. That is one of the favorite passages of scripture in the entire Bible for me. That passage of scripture rocked my world about 15, 16 years ago, changed my entire perspective, my entire way that I interact with God. Right there, that passage. You're like, really? Yeah, it did. See, this passage shows the full grace and presents the full grace of God. And here's the definition of grace according to Paul in this passage. It's grace is the power of God that justifies us. Let's go back to that. For the grace of God appears all that offers salvation to all. So God's grace is what brings us salvation. God's grace is what justifies us. That, that, that takes us from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. From darkness to light, God's grace justifies us. It saves us. It transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. It makes us new. So that's God's grace. How many of you know God's grace that way? How many of you experienced the grace of God that has brought you out of darkness into light? You're a new creation because of God's grace. You are saved because of the grace of God. Amen? Amen. We got that, man. We embrace that. We're like, yeah, that's grace. Grace saves. Yes. Awesome. But check this out. Paul continues. See, he also presents grace as the power of God. So it's the power of God that saves us. It justifies us. But grace is also the power of God that then sanctifies us. The same grace. God's grace that brings salvation is also the same grace that then changes us and teaches us and empowers us to live for God now. It's the same grace to walk in freedom, to minister in power. It's the same grace that's transforming us from glory to glory. That's full grace Christianity right there. That's what grace is. So check this out. What is grace then? I think it's important for us to understand this because I think we picked up a lot of things along the way. And I think that there's a good number of people in this room, just like I was 15 years ago, who've adopted a wrong perspective of what grace is. So is grace 
a get-out-of-hell-free card? Is grace an irrevocable ticket to heaven? Is grace God's way of simply choosing to look the other way, ignore our sin, and just go, yeah, whatever, it's all okay? No, no, that's not grace. That's not grace. No. The grace of God is the power of God. Let me say that again. The grace of God is the power of God. And this is a power that exists nowhere else but with God. The grace of God is the power of God that pulls us out of sin and then empowers us to live for him. That's grace. That's grace. Let me put it this way. Here's an analogy. Um, Let's say I'm a a tightrope walker, which don't even try to imagine that because I would be, not this guy, too tall. You know, a tall center, high center of gravity doesn't work. Tall guys, tough. All right. So, but you know, here's a Christian life. Let's just use this analogy right now. We're down there and, and, and we're walking in all the muck and we're in all the junk and the jagged stuff that's all on the ground and everything. And it, it's basically hell on earth and, and it's darkness that we're living in. And then all of a sudden, God's grace shows up in our life. And by grace, through faith, we receive salvation that lifts us out of the pit of that life that we were living in and puts us up on top of this amazing place, looking over all of creation, this whole new dimension that we're living in and standing in now. And it's like this tightrope that we're standing on. We're like, wow, this is, I can breathe. I can see. It's like, I got new life. This isn't, I didn't know that this existed. God's grace picked us and put us up there. But now what? How in the world am I gonna not only stand on, stay on this tightrope, but how am I gonna walk forward on this tightrope Toward God. How am I going to do that? I don't know what I'm doing. And so we start walking. And we fall. But you know what? God is so good. He has a safety net for us. When we fall. What is that safety net? Don't say grace because that's the wrong answer. I don't want anybody to say the wrong answer and then be like, dang it, he got me again. No, no, no. No, it's not grace. When we fall... It's his mercy that catches us. God's mercy catches us and puts us back up on that tightrope where our Savior bled for us to be up on top of that tightrope, above all these things, walking in a whole new dimension with him in the the kingdom of God. But how do we stay on the tightrope then? Because I don't want to keep falling and falling. And no, I want to walk. I want to I walk on this place in this, in this whole new realm that God, God has me in. Well, you know what? God has given us the power to do that. You, have you ever seen a stabling rod that, that, that these tightrope walkers use? This big old long rod that goes out and that's heavy that they carry. Why do they carry that? Because it, it helps them stay stable and to remain on that, that tightrope and to walk forward. And did not fall. That's grace. That's my point. That's grace. God's grace that lifted us up out of that miry pit of, of hell that we were living in and bound for and stuck us up and placed us in the new kingdom of heaven to walk in a whole new realm and a whole new place with him, our eyes fixed on him. That same grace now gives us what we need to stay up on that tightrope and to walk with him and for him and toward him all the way into glory. That's the power of God. God has given us what we need to follow him, to walk with him. 
And when and if we fall, his mercy catches us. Though a righteous man fall even seven times and fall again and fall again, his mercy is there to catch us. But his grace, his power is there to give us all we need to stay with him and walk with him. Does that make sense? That, that's a grace that Paul is presenting here. The same grace that justifies us also is sanctifying us, is also perfecting us, is transforming us, is taking us from glory to glory. Have you grabbed hold of God's grace? Have you allowed the power of grace to operate fully in your life? Are you just thinking of grace as just, well, that's just the thing that, that when I mess up, God just kind of forgives me, looks the other way and, and says, oh, well, you know, you got the blood of Jesus and you got the Jesus mask on, so that's all I see right now. So I say, are you seeing grace only that way? Are you seeing grace as the power of God that has totally transformed you and is transforming you? And as we grab hold of his grace and carry and walk with his grace, we will go places and do things that we never could have done before. We will walk in a new holiness that we haven't, I'm not talking about perfection. We will get there at some day when we're glorified and we're with him forever. But you hear what I'm saying? That's grace. That's the power of God. We don't have to settle for, for falling every, every, every other day in the same thing. We can press into his grace, his power. Stop seeing grace as a crutch or a safety net and start seeing it as God's power at work in your life. And what are we saved for? We're saved to do good. That's point number four. We just read that actually in, in, in chapter three. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Once again, we're not saved just to hide and wait for, the, you know, for Jesus to return. We're saved to be lights. Hide him under a bushel? No, we're going to let him shine. We're going to do good. We're going to be Jesus on this earth right now. We're going to be as ambassadors. We're going to be kingdom bringers and bearers. And, and we're, going to, we're going to love people like Jesus love them. When they, when they come into contact with you in business, in life, whatever it might be, it's as though they're doing business, they're doing life with, with Jesus. You're like, how's that possible? Because of his grace. Because of his grace. We're going to be those who are ready to do whatever is good. Because we're different. We've been made new. We've come into contact with God's power, his grace. We're leaning not on our understanding, but we're acknowledging him. We're walking with him. We're being who we are, saying what we know, and giving what we have, and it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Here's how I want to conclude. I want us to take communion together. So if you got your communion elements when you walked in, Great. If you didn't, there's some more on the back table right here on the center aisle at the back of the room. I want to encourage you to go ahead and get up. It's totally fine to get up and get the communion elements if you don't have them yet. Ben, would you bring me mine that's under my chair there? I love how the Apostle Paul always brings things back to Jesus. Always. Always. He just got done talking about how, man, you need to, need to get some better leaders in that church. You need to get rid of those liars, man. They're dangerous. You need to get your doctrine right. You need to be billboards for Jesus and 
need to embrace grace and you need to do whatever's good and all of that. But, but, but Paul always reminds us that, that we can't do that in our own strength. We don't have it in us. The only reason it's in us is because he's in us. And because he's in us, everything has changed. And in, him, in this letter, in chapter 3, Paul once again brings it all back to Jesus. And he says in verse 4, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us, how? Through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. We're saved because of God's kindness and his love. Not because we performed well today. But because of his kindness and his love. We aren't saved because of our goodness, but because of God's goodness. Not because of our own power, but because of his incomparably great power. That's why we're saved. Because he went to the cross for you and me. So let's take and eat and remember as we eat this bread. And Paul reminds us right here in this letter that not only did he save us and rescue us, as his son hung on that cross. But he also has given us, he's poured out on us, he's baptized each one of us with the Holy Spirit who now indwells within us. And because of what God has done, we're heirs with Christ. Because of what Christ has done, we have the promised hope of eternal life. A new covenant in Christ Jesus when the blood of Jesus was spilled on that cross. And it's ours now and forever. And we remember what he has given us. Let's take and drink. I invite you to stand up. God is so good. Amen. amen. I got an amen. amen. God is so good. And the good that you have received from God, he wants you to share it with others. To be billboards for Jesus. To be those who are walking in his power and his grace. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And let us lead others to the one that rescued us. There's a hurting world out there. It's a hard place. It's ruthless.
but God made a way. I want to invite the ministers to come forward as we close. And obviously every week, if you have a need, a prayer need, I want to make sure that you bring it to one of your brothers and sisters up here and have them pray for you. Well, I did that a week or two weeks ago and nothing's happened yet. You know what? Be that persistent widow and just keep coming back and bringing that care before the Lord and asking and, and allowing one of your brothers or sisters in Christ to pray with you and for you. That's what we're here to do together. We're the royal priesthood all together. So I want to invite you to do that. If you have something broken, missing, hurting, relationally, um, um, just in your own heart, if it's physical, whatever it might be, bring it before the Lord. Get some prayer this morning. But if you walked in here and you're like, man, that, that pastor up there is talking about something that's foreign to me. I, I don't know what it means to be pulled out from that pit. I feel like I'm still living in the pit. I've never, I've never experienced walking with Jesus or hearing his voice or, or knowing a peace that passes understanding. I, I don't know what that life is li about, but, but I want that. I don't want to keep living the way I've been living. I don't want to live for myself. I know I can't save myself. I've got myself in deep trouble. I need a savior. If that's you today, then it's no accident that you're here because the Lord is extending that grace, that power. He's extending an invitation for you to experience salvation that's found in his son Jesus today. To come in contact and to be forever changed by his grace, his power. To be a new creation. It's real. It's amazing. It'll rock your world. 